Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on wherever you are. Scott Luton, Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? We're doing well, Scott. How are we? How are you doing? How are they? <laughs> I think we're, we're, it's been a heck of a week, a uh, heck of a week. Uh, it's a challenging set of circumstances right now for, from a variety of levels, but we've had a lot of very um, informative conversations and we're going to have a lot, of, lot more of that over the next hour, huh? No doubt. Uh, you know, it's always good to figure out, since we're constantly given disruption, it's always interesting to talk to folks and figure out how they're handling it. Absolutely. Uh, didn't, we determine, didn't we determine in 2020 and 2021 that disruption is the new normal? <laughs> we certainly absolutely did. In fact, I think we, we uh, banned certain words because it was so much of the new normal. But, uh, but today, green normal was one of them. We either did or should have banned, isn't it? Sorry That's about right. that. <laughs> well, speaking of today's show, though, Greg, see what I did there. Speaking of today's show, we're going to be talking about creatively finding new ways of improving and enhancing cash flow while also implementing increased levels of what we like to call anti-fragility into your organization. And you know, Greg, the other word for that, right? Yeah, that's the word we're not supposed to say, resiliency, <laughs> or that's been said many times at the very least, right? That is right. But to get us through it, we've got an expert, excellent, Hall of, what I'll call a Hall of Fame panel assembled with leaders from Esker, LSQ, and Texas Christian University, TCU. So stay tuned for what promises to be an informative and intriguing conversation. Greg, before we bring on that panel, why don't we say hello to a few folks? How's that sound? That sounds good, Scott. Let's see. <laughs> Who do we have out there? We have, of course, Dr. Rhonda Bapenza Zimmerman. Yeah. Making it happen. Now, last time you were with me, Greg, and, and Rhonda was here, you mentioned you could just picture her on, on a mountaintop there in Arizona tuning in to supply chain conversations, right? Yep. And look at that. Look at that profile pic. Maybe that's why, right? <laughs> Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Uh, so, Dr. Rhonda, thank you for joining us. Jonathan, great to have you here. And good morning to you as well via LinkedIn, wherever you are. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Of course, we know Dr. Rhonda is a, a regular uh, dear friend of the show. We know she's in the, uh, the Phoenix area, uh, does a lot of great stuff from a wellness standpoint. But Jonathan, tell us where you're tuned in from. Uh, Stephen Bush, what's for lunch? Greg, really quick. What was for in lunch? In logistics at Heidelberg. Uh, that's a good question because I haven't decided uh, what what's for lunch yet. I really just had, may have had brunch. <laughs> I'm not thinking had, about lunch yet. Believe it or not, Scott, I'm not thinking about food right now. You know, we went around Surprise. the horn. <laughs> we went, went around the horn pre-show with our, our panel here. Uh, one hails from uh, Fort Worth, one's in the Denver area, and one is in San Francisco. And they right. that conversation talking about local cuisine made us really hungry. So, Stephen, we're not sure yet, but uh, let us know where you're tuned in from, and we'll make sure we'll, we'll all be hungry together over the next hour. Michael Oak. Tuned in from Austin. We were talking about Austin. Austin. Michael, great to see yeah. you via LinkedIn. Thanks for joining us. Looks Got like somebody from the DFW Metroplex. So really? 
Yeah, we're going to be covering Texas. Yeah, that's where the unnamed TCU guest is going to be. That is right. Dallas that is Florida. right. Stephen, we may have a little technical snag. I know, I know our, our live stream platform. Especially on LinkedIn. They love to be very, very efficient with bandwidth. And- <laughs> right. Right. That's so Stephen, a nice way to say it, wasn't it? It was a very nice. I, I applaud your diplomacy here today. Goodness knows we need a lot more of that across the world here lately. Stephen, uh, we'll see if that gets gets fixed. And, of course, we'll be releasing the replay in just a week or so. Hey, Bill Stankevich is tuned in from Savannah, another great podcast team. He says, Greg? Live. Live. Right here. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan uh, uh, answered the call. Uh, Lafayette, Louisiana? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Though, though it's Lafayette, isn't it? Lafayette around Atlanta? It's Lafayette in Louisiana. You know, I'm going to trust you, uh, but I saw a story on a town in Mississippi. I think it's spelled the same way, but they call it Lafitte. Lafitte, how about that? Memory is tuned in. Memory, hey, great to see you back. One of our favorites around here. We look forward to all the T-shirt-isms. She likes our intro. (laughs) (laughs) That intro, Memory says, before the session starts, is out out of Hollywood good. How about that? I love it. Uh, Josh Goody is tuned back in. Of course, he is in oddly sunny Seattle. That's better than the last report, Josh. <laughs> it sure is. It was, uh, it was rainy again, I think, or something like to that effect. Uh, yeah. Josh, hey, great to have you back. Give us uh, uh, the uh, more quantified weather report when you get a second. Uh, hey, dear friend Mark Preston, uh, he's on the board with the Association of Manufacturing Excellence. Uh, longtime friend. Mark, great to see you. Tuned in from Peachtree City here in Georgia. Bill says he's tuning in from Savannah Technical College with 25 students from the military. Hey, Bill, love you. Big shout out to all of Ooh, your wow. class and love what you do. How cool is that, Greg? Yeah, that's cool. Thank them for their service. Absolutely. Jayothi, if I think I've got that right, if I didn't, let us know. Jayothi is tuned in from Mumbai uh, via LinkedIn. Uh, Gene Pledger, of course, North from North Alabama is back with us. Gene, great to see you. Stephen is tuned in from Kennesaw right here from Jimmy John's. Man, Stephen. Jimmy, Jimmy John's. You're killing me, man. That's a very <laughs> precise location, Stephen. <laughs> Love that, Stephen. It's B-L-Y. Right. Nazifo. B-L-Y. <laughs> Nazifo is tuned in from South Africa, and she looks like she's involved in maritime operations across the supply chain management world. Wonderful. We look forward for uh, to hearing your perspective. Mamet is tuned in. Tim Ingram is back with us. Tunde from Nigeria is tuned in. Welcome, everybody. Great to have everyone. We look forward to your perspective as we work through the conversation here today. As Tim says, Greg, let's Tim it up. So on that note, on that note, uh, Greg, are you ready? for me to introduce and bring in our esteemed panel. You ready to go? I am. Let's go. Well, let's do it. So we got a, a, a three-person panel here today. I want to welcome in Vikas Shah, Chief Revenue Officer with LSQ. We have Dr. Morgan Swink, who is the Eunice and James L. West Chaired Professor of Supply Chain Management at the Neely School of Business at prestigious Texas Christian University. And then we've got our dear friend, of course, uh, the gentleman that moves at the speed of a 1,000 gazelles, Dan Reeve. <laughs> who is head of sales with Esker. Let's welcome it all in. All right. Good afternoon, Vikas, Morgan, Dan. How are we doing today? Well, good. Great. Fantastic. Great to have you back. So, um, Greg, you remember all of these, you know, we're very fortunate. All of these, these panelists are repeat guests. 
Dan always knocks it out of the park. Vakas was with us, I think, just a couple months back on a live stream. Hollywood was calling him uh, after the job he did here. And then, of course, uh, Morgan joined us for a webinar a few months back. And I yeah. think uh, we had to go through his agent to get him rebooked. So it's great to have all three of y'all here today. And Greg, you asked. So I know we were, we're going to talk about lunch here in just a second. But Stephen says BLY BLT, is a BLT. Got it. Okay. Got it. All right. That sounds <laughs> so, like a great lunch. It does. Now I am hungry. Me- <laughs> well, speaking of Greg, speaking of, I think that's where we're going to start our conversation today, right? Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, let's figure out what everyone likes. We actually got to warm this up a little before we got on the air, but so today is national or is it today or tomorrow? National tomorrow. pack your lunch day. So what I'd like to do is let's start with some really serious and important questions. What do you or have you in your history packed as your lunch as a favorite? So Dan, with the speed of a thousand gazelles, could you share with us? <laughs> you can tell Scott and I have really locked into that when you said that, right? But, I think, uh, I think <laughs> before I was shipped off to boarding school at age of 13 in England, I think, you know, and when I was walking to school and having lunch as a, as a kid, I think it was a wagon wheel. It was, it was a chocolate in a sort of a round wheel of uh, chocolate and marshmallow. That was, if I could get one of them, I was happy. Nowadays, we're two young girls, uh, five and eight, and when they go to school, you know what? I kind of like it in the evening. When the packed lunch comes home, there's this bits they haven't eaten, and my wife's not looking. I'll have some, I'll have some of the leftovers, you know? They're tasty. Love it. Every Greg. father should oh. garbage. I think that's, that's beautiful. Right. You know what I think a wagon wheel reminds me of, Scott? Uh, a moon pie. Yep. Yeah. It's, Possibly the English version of a moon yeah. pie. Have you ever had a moon pie, Dan? I have. Yeah, okay. kind of in that direction. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Vikas, what? Tell us what's your favorite packed lunch? Well, uh, my mom packed uh, lunch for me all the time, and uh, my favorite part was essentially just white bread with jelly. And she wouldn't tell me what jelly she's going to use. She she had all these different flavors, and she would surprise me. So some days I would have a fantastic time and someday I would go just completely starving. I was going to ask you, did she ever surprise you with a jelly you didn't like? What? So obviously she did. So what is when you don't come? Well, it would be all kinds of flavors. Um, strawberries were my favorite, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries. But, uh, you know, once in a while she would, she would throw in a eclectic, exotic flavor in there and uh, it would just, it, it would just <laughs> flop, huh? <laughs> It's just completely flop, but uh, yeah, but that was That's the funny fun part. because when I was a kid, I never wanted peach jelly, but now peach preserves, same you know, similar. I really, really like it, but there was a time when I just would not eat peach, so I moved to the south and Scott made me start eating. <laughs> very true, very true, yeah. So, because- Morgan, tell us about what uh, what is it that you uh, pack? You might pack your lunch still because. Technically, you're still in school. <laughs> I still am. I can't get out of school. I don't know why. But uh, no, you know, my mom wanted to vary my lunch, but I would not allow it. I, I had to have the same thing every single day from, from age six to at least 11. Uh, I had a bologna sandwich every single day and I loved it. And I became so full of baloney. I guess that's why I'm a professor now. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Man, you're going to fit right but, in. Uh, you know, I hate baloney now, but I loved it back then. Gosh, I can't uh, imagine requesting baloney. I know. 
It's crazy. You, you know what? You did your family a tremendous service by eating that and probably saving bond on your riches. Yeah. yeah. Probably took years off my life. So with, <laughs> with mayonnaise? Is that uh, right? No, actually, is it uh, just bread, bologna, and mustard. And I okay. have a very precise way of eating it. Yeah, squish it all down and then fold it all up and then and who knows what that psychologically I don't know what that means but uh, but yeah it was it was very rigid process that I could not vary. Wow, process driven. So one quick follow up question uh, I've got to ask you because one of my father in law's favorite things in the world is a fried bologna sandwich at uh, Roberts Western yep. Wear in Nashville. Yes, so fried bologna, uh, Morgan, is that? Well, my mom would uh, fry it in a skillet, and then we'd eat it with bre- with eggs for breakfast. But I've never had a fried bologna sandwich. No. Okay, we'll fix that. We're gonna. It's fix not that, dissimilar right? to the bologna sandwich you've had, but somehow, Morgan, it tastes better fried. And Roberts is the best in the world. Yeah. Well, <laughs> check it out next time. It's in Nashville, you said. Yeah, Nashville. Yes. All right. So I'd love to, uh, especially on the pre-show, uh, Greg, as we mentioned earlier, we went around the horn with Dan and Morgan and Vikas and talked about uh, where they live and some of the cuisines and restaurants. So, so we'll have to have just so many stories there. We'll have to have y'all back for a full hour, maybe a food discussion. But there's so much going on right now. So I want to shift gears to yeah. the wide world of global business and uh, global supply chain. In particular, we want to start, uh, Greg and I and the team, and, and yes, Mark, See if I can share his quick comment. No, Amanda is not eating in front of me with a cold beer. Uh, we saved that for the weekends most of the time. So great question. But uh, leaving the food discussion behind, we want to talk about uh, level setting and what we're seeing out across industry. So especially yeah. related to, uh, and I'm going to start with Dan here, especially related to these increasing prices, right? So many uh, almost across the board. And of course, supply chain constraints old and new. So let's start with what some of the things you are seeing out in the market. Dan, let's start with you. Sure. I think, uh, and especially in the last two weeks, of course, risk was something a lot of companies are focusing on. You talked about in, in the pre-show notes, the anti-fragility and PwC was, was saying, hey, organizations need to shift to have cash available and, and move from you know just in time to just in case. Well, our just in case turned up out right. in Ukraine, didn't it? So mm-hmm. I think the reality is what we're seeing is companies are saying, let us know about risk. Our suppliers that we work with, are they now risky? And we didn't know that before. Our customers that we work with, are they now risky? Because often you, you bring on customers and suppliers and, and you know you, you check them out once a year. Or, well, now I think a lot of uh, finance leaders are saying we need, to know, need, we need to know about this sooner, proactively. The other thing I think that's going on specifically right now is, yes, many, many finance leaders will turn to ESCO as a way of you know, paying suppliers quicker, faster, enabling early payment discounts, supply chain financing. That's something Vikas and I team up with. And also they'll turn to ESCO as a way of uh, invoicing customers, get paid quicker, uh, capture capture and apply that cash and improve working capital. For Finally, I see that a lot of folks are really paying attention in, in terms of their working capital. What money have we got that we do? Can we chase that up? Can we get it in quicker? Who do we need to pay? We don't want to lose our place. I think in line, I think, Morgan right. and Vikas will probably talk about that. But there's something, my final point, there's something going on that's really been exacerbated in the last week or two. That is disputes. So mm. the supplier might not be able to, to supply you the goods at $100,000 anymore. Now it might be costing them $120,000. Mm. When they send in the invoice, the invoice may have gone up and it bounces. When you do a three-way match, it doesn't match with what you were expecting. So now I think there's even more effort because suddenly, hey, 
the suppliers might not just be able to absorb those those increases due to raw material costs, gas costs, et cetera, et cetera. So there's more, even more work to be done in finance where, guess what? Your receivables, your, your, your payables, your collections team are already stressed, retiring mm-hmm. early or leaving and juggling too many applications. So there's even more work to be done and, and there's you know stress between cus- uh, customers and suppliers. Yep. So before I move on to Morgan, Greg, you know, it's, it's really important, perhaps more than ever before, to be a good customer and a good supply chain partner uh, these days, right? I thought about that as Dan was talking about it early in the pandemic, right? When everything shut down and everyone was in crisis and everyone kind of needed a leg up. I cannot remember who it was, Scott, but it was a poignant statement. Now it's too late to make friends. And right, right now is not the time to make enemies or to, you know, to strain your, your partnerships with your trading partners for sure. Excellent point. Uh, and what we're going to do, the research team, we're going to dive in and figure out who had that who moment of brilliance. Yeah. Okay. So I want to move along to Morgan with TCU. Morgan, what are some of the things as we level set here? Some things you're seeing out in the market? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking more at the macro financial statistics and changes over time across different industries. And I'd echo, you know, what Dan said, uh, a lot more cash out there. Companies are sitting on two to three times the kind of average level of cash that they had in the last 10 years. So everybody's beefing up, I think, because, and to Dan's point, all that uncertainty out there, all the disruption that we've gone through and all the uncertainty going forward. So they're seeing that as their kind of number one hedge uh, against that future risk. The other thing that's bumped up, uh, which is kind of going against maybe what Greg just said, is a lot of that cash is getting financed through payables. So mm. uh, over the last 20 years, we've seen just a steady increase in that kind of average amount of payables. Everybody's lengthening their terms. Uh, and that's bumped since 2019. That's bumped up another 10, 15 percent on average. Not all companies are doing that. And I think this gets to the point that Greg made. You know, there's a big distinction between those companies that are that are able to and see the value of treating their suppliers well and trying to help them through the through the situation and then the other companies that are really using them as the source of cash and and a source of capital, you know, in tough times, um, either because they have to, or because they don't maybe don't value the longer term relational, um, you know, benefits. Yeah. Well said. And and I love that last point where you ended because they're, they don't tie nearly as much value to the big picture. And oftentimes that can be completely uh, at odds when it comes to alignment of the relationship uh, up, upstream and downstream of the supply chain. So, Greg, really quick, your response to um, Morgan's take there. Well, there's a third category to what Morgan is talking about, and we've talked about it some, where some of the big shippers, retailers, brands, whatever, are taking advantage of their vendors and charging them to be paid on time um, using unique payment schemes where they actually finance the debt that they are owed and intend to pay late to their suppliers. So mm. uh, not all is, you know, uh, what, do, what do we want to say? Sunshine and daffodils, right? There, there are people being <laughs> yeah. opportunistic in this market. Agreed. Yeah, and, and we, we can get into this later if you want, but there's uh, we're actually doing some research on this now that shows that those, those companies that do that um, tend to see a lot more higher turnover, right. a lot more churn in their supply base, as well as some other uh, transactional costs and things like that. Come from that. You know, not to be too simplistic about it, but 
if you don't do the right thing, you're going to pay in some way, shape, or form. So it's good to hear Morgan. We'll probably dive into that in a, in a, in a minute. But Kass, I'm coming to you next, but really quick, uh, memory makes a great point. An informed customer makes informed decisions. We need to communicate and drafts uh, such cost changes to all for uh, changes. Allow. Allow for changes. Allow. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That little little space there. Yeah, uh, allow right. for changes. Excellent point. And I love that first part. An informed customer makes informed decisions. Love that. And Gene says, pay early and you both win, which is kind of what uh, Dan was speaking to earlier. Right. Okay. So Vikas, let's talk about level setting. Now, so what are some of the things you're tracking out there in the in the current market? Yeah, it's an interesting time. We've been we've been talking to a lot of procurement and supply chain leaders lately, and the biggest priority for a lot of these professionals is securing supplies. It is an absolute critical priority for most uh, most stakeholders. You know, all the other messaging around um, automation, digitization, transformation is essentially going over their head. You know, what they're really concerned about or lose sleep over is securing supplies. And and what I've talked about, uh, and, and uh, both uh, both Greg, you and, and, and Morgan and Dan have alluded to this is, you know, how do you treat your suppliers as partners? You know, during this time, it's extremely important. You know, give them access to an early pay program. Mm-hmm. All of these suppliers are looking to keep their businesses afloat and, and do that without asking them for terms. And, and they will remember this forever. You know, they will remember that you stood by them during these tough times and they will pay you back with terms, mm-hmm. you know, once the businesses, you know, calibrate. So it's it's really important for professionals to understand that if you can be by your suppliers as partners and they see that during these times, it's it's going to be very rewarding in the long term. Mm. I love that. Uh, Greg, I want to come to you for a quick comment next. But one of the things that brings to my mind is it's a lot easier, or at least it's easier, to take care of a current supplier that's delivering than try to go out there and find and onboard a, a new supplier, especially during the pandemic, as we've all learned. But Greg, your take on what Vikas said there. Yeah, it makes me think there is a distinct difference between getting paid back and payback. And <laughs> depending on how you tra- treat your your suppliers and your trading partners, payback could be coming your way after a crisis. Yep. I love that, Greg. That and is, if you've uh, seen the movie, you don't want payback. <laughs> If you know, you know. So Mel yeah. Gibson and Payback, yeah. it's funny. Internally, when we talk about any kind of collections, that movie always comes to my mind. Um, so y'all check it out. Mel Gibson, Payback. It's probably from the late 90s. I don't know. Um, okay. So Payback is different than getting paid back. I love that, Greg. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about what actions that leaders and organizations are taking. And we're going to go in reverse order here. So Vikas, that means we're going to stick with you. So what are you seeing leaders do about some of these conditions? I think pay it forward is, is the general theme. So, you know, shifting from you don't want to be in the payback situation, you want to be in the pay it forward situation, you know, with your suppliers. And, mm. you know, that's a great investment to make, whether it's a long-term strategic supply relationship, whether it's a new supply relationship, uh, especially if it's a diversity, minority, or women-owned business, you know, you want to pay it forward. Mm. And leaders are thinking about, innovative ways in which they can do that without taking on too much overhead and burden because we all know that AP departments and procurement departments are completely stretched right now, Mm. not just with mid-sized organizations, but even though with large organizations and they do not want to take on additional complexity to process payments. Mm. 
But there are lots of creative solutions out there. There's an easier way to do that and get it up and running so that suppliers can get along with providing you the critical supplies that you need to secure in your business and just make sure that that relationship is intact because mm. you know you just don't want to make sure that you have a spot in the line. You want to make sure that you are in the line. And it's important that you keep paying it forward across your supply chain to secure that. So Vikas, one of the things I heard there, and Greg, maybe you too, is uh, you want to make it easy. If you can eliminate mm-hmm. complexity for your suppliers, especially needless complexity, which is non-value added and complete muda, why not do that, right, Vikas? Absolutely. And 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 when people think about AP systems or procurement systems, you know, immediately the you know the red flags go in their mind. So when we jump on these calls, we try and make it very simple. Uh, we want to talk about on-demand solutions where they can simply either provide cash advances or early payment programs to their suppliers. And it, you know, ideally speaking, you want to do it for all your suppliers across the entire supply chain. But you know, it might not be feasible just given given the scope and scale of some of these suppliers uh, with right. some of these customers. You can start small. You can start with one supplier. You can start with 10 suppliers. You know, think about who really needs the liquidity. You know, who is a strategic supplier? Which critical supplies do you want to secure as part of your business so your production doesn't go down, so on and so forth? And you can approach it in a phased manner and make it really simple for AP and procurement departments to implement something like this. So, Greg, really quick, we saw on the beginning, if you remember when we talked about the aviation industry in particular, an example comes to my mind on the front end of the pandemic, where you know they have all these component manufacturers that, that, that in a very extended uh, global supply chain, they were right away, they were acting to pay their suppliers up front to keep those right. operations afloat. I mean, you remember me and you talking about that. But, Greg, your comment before we move on to uh, Morgan. Semiconductors. Think about how the American automakers treated the semiconductor manufacturers. They said, sure, go ahead and produce those semiconductors. We'll let you know if we're going to cut a PO for them, <laughs> right. right? And of course, the semiconductor manufacturers were smart and didn't without a commitment because times were very turbulent then. But look at, speaking of payback, as Vikas was talking about, look at the payback that they got. Almost an entirely lost year of production because they didn't do the right thing by their by their their suppliers and now they're more people are more likely to buy a used car than a new car some yeah. suppliers had to, some uh, automakers had to skip an entire model year so the impact when you talk about big picture that is a big picture impact Agreed. And look it's it's a pay me now or pay me later kind of thing if you if you take advantage of your your vendors, don't think they don't figure it out. That's why you got a three percent price increase. If you have, if you always use your credit card and it costs them three percent, or you always drag them and it and or you put them on a finance plan and and it costs them money, they they will get payback. <laughs> so one other speaking of payback, uh, that, maybe that's the theme of our uh, discussion here today. But uh, Vikas mentioned the movie Pay It Forward, which is another great yeah. one. It's a great feel-good yeah. movie, so that's a great call-out. Well, uh, and that's a much better approach to this strategy. <laughs> right, right. Obviously. And much more positive, uplifting uh, movie as well. Okay, yeah. so Morgan, let's circle back to you. So what are you seeing leaders and organizations do about some of these uh, challenges? Yeah, so many different things. I think a lot of them are finally getting serious about, about risk management. And I, I guess I'll kind of categorize the responses that I'm seeing in two different ways using a, there's a framework now in the, in the academic world that's kind of growing in this area of 
I know you don't like the word resilience. We, we're not supposed to use that word. Anti-fragility. No, it's okay. We like it. Yeah. We just don't want to barrage people but, with it more. <laughs> yeah. It's basically, it's it's buffering or bridging, right? And it's not or, it's it's mm. it's and, right? Buffering and bridging. So we, we mentioned the cat, you know, cash and inventory is hedges against against uh, disruptions and demand or supply. I mean, that's going on. And that's kind of the old school way of dealing with risk. But the bridging strategies is what we're seeing a lot more of now, at least by the leaders. And that is, you know, they're, they're getting serious about mapping out their supply bases. They're looking at two, three, four, sometimes four tiers down if they can. They're not looking at all the suppliers, you know, to Vikas's point. We're trying to identify which ones are critical, which ones are the bottlenecks, which ones are most susceptible to uh, disruption, whether that be and geographically oriented kinds of disruption or economically oriented or politically oriented, whatever the disruption sources might be. And then I think, you know, some of these folks are rethinking some of their sourcing strategies. We've kind of followed a paradigm for a long time, especially in certain manufacturing industries that have emphasized, you know, volume leverage with a few key sources or maybe even single source there's an argument to be made now for for head you know, a, a, a risk hedging strategy that at least allows, if you're not sourcing directly from multiple suppliers, at least identifying those ones that you can quickly go to if one of your key suppliers goes down. So, so that kind of thinking, agility and all internal as well as external uh, investing in training or technology or whatever we can do to be more shiftable, more scalable in terms of our internal operations. Um, so all that kind of thing. And I think a lot of technology enablement, uh, w- which was already happening, has kind of been accelerated by COVID in those directions. So all of that is in the overall mix of things that could be done to try to address the situation. Some of them are long-term, unfortunately. They take a long time to implement. Right, right. Greg, your quick comment on what Morgan shared there. Yeah, I'm, as you know, as we talk about this, I think it's important to identify that a lot of the bottlenecks, a lot of the fragilities that we're talking about exist in the manufacturing supply chain who can take a great example from the finished goods, retail and distribution supply chain because secondary sourcing or or alternate sourcing or other techniques that have been used in, in finished goods for decades, literally half a century, would be incredibly valuable for manufacturers that, and frankly, I never cease to be stunned, Scott, you know, talk about words that people get tired of. I never cease to be stunned by the fact that in that manufacturers are so far behind in this regard and have to be told by Morgan and others, right, that, hey, maybe you ought to consider a secondary source or maybe you ought to give 70% of the volume to this vendor and 30% to this vendor so they're standing by and ready when you need them because that is common knowledge in finished goods uh, supply chains. Well, that and invest in your people. Goodness gracious, this is 2022. You know, th- this is not a new concept. You know, invest in your people, and they're going to not only help take care of you, but they're going to be more apt and more able to do different things. So that as you have to be nimble through these times, you've got the talent because you've invested in it. So, but Morgan and Greg, good, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, Vikash, you made a great point, and I'm going to circle back to in just a minute some of the things you're seeing out there. Dan, I'm coming to you next, but before I do, Cindy Palmer. You're right, and great to see you. I love what you do for our veteran uh, industry uh, via vets2industry.org. I to hook you up with Bill. Backup plans are important. Backup to the backup to the backup plans are important. Excellent point there. Uh, memory says lead times on deliveries will impact invoicing, especially when working on leaner inventory and especially for slow movers. 
Excellent point. Uh, yeah. Michelle's got a quick, great question. We'll try to circle back on in just a second. But Dan, I know you're chopping at the bit. We've covered a lot of ground since we circled back to you. Well, uh, how are leaders and, and organizations, you know, taking the football in their hands and running with it here? You know, I feel you've thrown me three or four balls, and I've never been able to juggle, but I'm going to try. Okay, so one, Greg. It's okay to set one down and pick one okay. up at a time. Yeah, it's a bit like the Rubik's cube. I am the kid that used to cheat, and you know, I could never get it to work. So move the stickers around. Move the stickers, and then try and you know get them back on. What I am seeing is two things. So first is um, you talk about sort of diversification, adding suppliers. And many of the finance and, and payable projects that folks are. Um, working with us on are increasingly turning and saying oh by the way we need to be able to add more suppliers make it faster and easier to check suppliers and get them through the process we you know it used to take a couple of months to get now i need them in weeks if that you know i need to be able to be a lot more responsive and dynamic and faster you know back to that speed of a thousand gazelles now people are saying i, I need to be able to do that for example you talked about semiconductor. I, was, I noticed that some of the semiconductor companies this week they were mentioning no names, but there were, there were announcements on their website saying, oh, neon gas. A lot of the world's neon gas comes from Russia. Right. Didn't know that. Hey, it's okay. We've got alternative sources we've, we've organized for, and we're gonna, we, we're not gonna, there's not going to be a big disruption to the semiconductor space. So we're seeing folks asking for that because they need that, um, that capability, that flexibility. The other one you talked about, training and tech. What, what I see going on there is, you know, Hackett have spoken about this. We've all heard about the great resignation. Institute of Financial Management has said, look, folks in payables, they don't just want to go and do the job anymore. Folks want to do work that they feel is truly valuable. Mm. Typically, you know, most people are looking to work for more, not less, you know, and therefore, well, how do you keep folks? How do you keep them engaged? How do you make sure that they're doing more valuable work so therefore you can justify, you know, increasing the price tag? And in many cases, what we're seeing is folks saying, okay, I want to take my folks in finance, be it credit, procurement, payables, receivables. And yeah, I want to make it easy for them so they don't have to manage multiple tools. If I can give them one tool across all those areas, that's easy, great. But I want to move them into more of a, um, companies are redefining the roles. How would I make them more business analysts as opposed to clerical type roles? And that I think is, is, is what folks are looking at with technology to sort of help people transition, give them insights, visibility across, you know, I, for example, who do I owe money and how much am I going to pay? And, you know, can I accelerate, can I get cash flow by accelerating my collection process or can I do it by um, early payment discounts, supply chain financing? We see that whole dynamic going on and in the middle, ultimately, I think, yeah, people are like, well, okay, I need to do those things. I need smart people because I need to improve or I have more working capital. Right. You know, so right. what a challenging time. An incredibly challenging time. And, and uh, Palladium, I think, another resource uh, involved and, and, and impacted by what's going on, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, okay, Greg, you heard a lot come from Dan there. You co you comment, uh, if you would, on that. And then, Bacasa, I'll come back to you on an earlier observation you had. But, Greg, what did you hear there? Well, you know, I'm going to latch on to technology, as I usually do, and and talk about how technology allows technology to do technology things and humans to do human things. And that's exactly what Dan is talking about. The more satisfying, the more meaningful and the more impactful job that humans can do is, is what technology cannot do, or at least cannot do today, right? Technology should be doing technology things whenever the possibility exists. And that allows people to do what they are exceptional at and that is exceptionally difficult for technology, which is to act rapidly, 
with high stakes decisions with little, no, or inaccurate data. And that enables people to do something that's both much more satisfying to them and much more valuable to the enterprise. So I think dead on with, you know, technology enabling people to do better work for the company and technology to do things that are not satisfying or maybe not even the wheelhouse of human beings. I love that, Greg. A really quick comment from Jerry says, uh, via LinkedIn, you need contingency plans for your raw materials and sub-assembly suppliers, as well as all the other links in supply chain, transporters, yep. ports, you name it. Uh, I don't know who that dude works for, but I bet he's <laughs> about to get a ton of job offers. Right. Just, and just the awareness of that is really, really important. Right. Like the old, uh, in supply chain, you must assume that everyone will fail you, right? If you want to eliminate fragility, you have to find every potential point of failure and offset it. Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Greg White, he brings up POV, uh, check him out, follow, connect with him. But Jerry does make a good point and the point that we're all kind of making here. But I would just add that awareness of possible new suppliers, that takes a lot of work, especially depending on how complex of an item it is. And those early on, early stage relationships and discussions to vet them. I mean, this is a lot of homework that goes into this. So great point, Jerry. Okay, so Vikas, you made an interesting observation a second ago, uh, sent me a note about um, what you're seeing suppliers willing to do. So expand on that, if you would. Yeah, suppliers care more about payment certainty in today's time. Giving suppliers payment certainty and ultimate control around timing of the payment, when they want to get paid, how they want to get paid, and where they want to get paid is, is the ultimate nirvana. And buyers need to understand that they can hold off on price increases from their suppliers if they're able to give that kind of certainty and control back to the suppliers. And there's a massive opportunity around that. Agree. That, okay. So another T-shirtism there, uh, the ultimate nirvana. And there's a massive opportunity to go after that and make your suppliers extremely happy and wanting to supply you more and invest in a relationship. Morgan, along these lines or anything else in terms of what you're seeing leaders and organizations do. Uh, We're going to talk in a second about uh, some of the really cool things that Esker is doing with both of your respective organizations. But uh, what else are you seeing leaders do out there? Yeah. Well, actually, I just want to build on what uh, Vikas said and what you talked about earlier from the research. You know, a lot of academic research is uh, we've got a great pains to confirm kind of the, the obvious things that everybody already knows. But so, and this might fall in that category, but in terms of the, the pay it back uh, or pay it forward and pay back, um, we actually documented uh, back in the 2008 recession, and we're seeing it again now, that the companies that are paying their suppliers faster and paying them fairly in terms of at least if you look at cost of goods sold and how those vary across across companies, they're seeing lower transaction costs, you know, overhead costs, they're seeing lower R&D costs, less inventory. And we take from that that, you know, this is the benefits of supply suppliers who are treated well as they come back and they help you in all these other ways that are sometimes not real visible in terms of a P&L right away, but they do mm-hmm. show up uh, over the long term and they're measurable. So, you know, it's there. It's doc- The evidence is documented. Uh, there's lots of contingencies and it depends and all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, I think we pretty much demonstrated that 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 truism or that t-shirt uh, 
slogan, whatever you want to come with there. It, it yep. makes sense. It makes sense. Agreed. It makes big dollars too. Greg, comment on what you heard there from Morgan. Hey, folks, this is an uplifting, inspirational supply chain message here today. You know, suppliers need to be taken care of by their buyers and vice versa. But Greg, what else are you hearing? I don't know who this equivalent of Sigmund Freud in supply <laughs> chain is, but remember we said the word of the year would be stability. And I think what everyone is is communicating in, in various ways is all companies, be they suppliers or, or users, manufacturers, distributors, retailers, or even consumers, they're seeking stability. And everything that they do is to get stability or make up for a lack of stability, much like Freud's concept of love. So I, I think if we think about our trading partners in that way, and we offer them stability, we offer them stability in terms of demand or payment or profit and gross margin and, and partnership, then uh, you know that's that's the key to, if you think about it as simply as that, that is the key to, to reaching the nirvana that Vikas talks about in, and the equilibrium and the, the, you know, the level of performance that Morgan and, and his team are seeing in their research. Excellent point. Okay. So Dan, I'm gonna get your quick comment in just a second. Uh, a couple of quick comments here. Memory discussions, very timely, agreed, very timely and very practical. Been there, done that expertise here mm -hmm. amongst our panel. Josh says, well said, Vikas, being able to commit, uh, commit makes it able for the suppliers to place your company as a priority. It saves production and processing on my side on a weekly basis. Excellent <laughs> point there. Hey, really quick. Which gives uh, Josh more time to mow his yard in the rain. In <laughs> right. So, I mean, let's think about the impact on people's lives, right? Uh, absolutely. Really quick. We, we touched a couple times. I want to make sure I get this in. Ukraine and Russia, of course. I can speak for this whole panel here. Thoughts and prayers are with uh, the brave folks in Ukraine fighting aggression. But We've got Cora Cose joining Enrique Alvarez now on Friday at 12 noon to talk about some of the global supply chain ramifications from what's taking place uh, there in uh, Ukraine. So uh, join us for that 12 noon Eastern time. A couple of quick comments here before I come to Dan. Cindy says, stability allows companies to focus on growth. Excellent point. Stephanie, this is uh, fantastic stuff, she says this morning. Got to love supply chain. You're right. We all do here for sure. Uh, hope it's recorded this year. Yes. The replay of this discussion will be dropped on the Supply Chain Now RSS feed next week, and the video replay will be available on social and YouTube. Jerry says, customers, customers may be willing to pay more for stability if you can give it to them. He agrees with Greg. Okay, so Dan, heard a lot. We're throwing more footballs and soccer balls at you. Uh, give us one quick thought here before we move on to, to, to the relationship that exists here. I'm probably going to do better with that soccer ball, I think. Yeah, so I'll take the soccer. <laughs> I was going to ask if you yeah. can juggle with your feet. Being yeah, almost a little bit better. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the concepts that um, you know our chairman talks about is the idea of positive sum growth instead of zero sum gain. And what what does that mean in plain mm. English? I mean, I think what we're talking about is I think what everybody is is talking about is for a long time there's been a trend to how do you make it easy to do business for your customer, make it easy for them to pay you, make it, you know, make it, make it easy and, and, and fast and, and, and rewarding. Hey, well, I'll do business for those guys again, or they fix my problems quickly. The same applies on the supply side. So take care of your suppliers. You know, you, you effectively cannot grow and compete if your suppliers don't come along with you. You know, and I think that's uh, certainly something that Morgan is, is, uh, is identifying. And that's one of the reasons we've, we, so one of the things that Morgan's organization does is, is, is produce good talent 
you talked about, uh, you know, one of those folks works in my organization. He's one of our sales reps. And and, and uh, Nick had told me, hey, you know, Morgan, uh, Morgan his organization, that they do great supply chain research. And so what we're interested in is let's look at when companies have put in technology, be it on the order to cash side or procure to pay side, what is that doing? You know, there's obviously these challenges and these pressures out there right now, but can we see a difference in the P&L or the liquidity or the supply chain metrics based on, hey, these folks have put in both technology or, or these practices? Um, clearly, we, you know, folks tell us that there's been improvements to working capital, but there's also, to your point, Greg, when we see folks technology uh, put in technology, one of the things that I find interesting is when you say, how has this really affected the suppliers or your people? Believe it or not, some of the some of the things and some of the reasons projects are viewed well. I don't know if I can say they, they go ahead specifically just for this. Is some people are saying my staff get more time at home; mm-hmm. they are not burnt out. I've had folks say they actually get to sleep more. That's coming up on nearly all projects. If you really dive into why are they doing these things, and, right. and it, it is about both taking care of your staff and your suppliers. I think absolutely, uh, especially in these challenging times where they're, you know, the burden associated with the the private lives or the family time can be a lot higher based on what we've all been experiencing in recent years. All right. So I want to, we're, we're kind of coming down the home stretch. I really wish we had a couple more hours with the intellect and expertise we've got here. I want to touch on uh, the cool things, Dan, that you're doing with LSQ and with TCU. But really quick, Jonathan talks about how the total cost of ownership decreases as effective supplier-buyer relationship, effective continued collaboration increases. That's an out, that's an outstanding uh, observation, and that can certainly happen. Let's see. Memory talks about would price increases hold in this period we are in with all the shortages of critical supplies? Those who pay their suppliers consistently secure their supplies, which is kind of what Vikas was talking about a second ago. Okay, so... Greg, your quick comment before we get Dan to uh, share some of the cool things they're up to with the group here. Your quick comment there. Yeah, I think as far as holding prices, that's difficult to even ask for. I mean, I think once you've secured it with a PO, I think a lot of companies are honoring that PO. That is a contract, right? But to be able to book prices ahead right now, there's so much invisible inflation and so much inflation yet to come, just my opinion. And also, let me qualify, not an economist. <laughs> but but there is so much inflation buried in companies that have tried to hold the line for their customers that that dam could break at any moment in any product or any kind of area of, of the marketplace. We've seen it over and over again, and we'll continue to see it at least throughout this year in various areas. So, you know, I think... The relationship is, is it's interesting, the relationship. There was a question earlier, how are people, what are people doing to forecast the need for quick shifts in their supply chain or something like that? And mm-hmm. I think you have to provision for that, right? Again, assume everyone will fail you or that disruption will come. And the nature of the disruption is not as important as the outcome of the disruption. Anticipate what could be happen, what uh, disruptions could come in the supply chain. You know, can you predict the containers would be a shortage or, you know, can you predict that a ship is going to get stuck in the, in the Suez Canal, which seems like a thousand years ago now, doesn't it? But right. things like that, think about the impact that those things would have, not those specific instances. 
and provision for that. And I think that's where companies need to be focusing their efforts as well. Excellent point. Bill is a big fan. LSQ rocks, he says, for Cass. How about that? Bill, love you and great to see you here. Appreciate what you do with those veterans. we got to reconnect soon. T-Squared says, the nourishment hit the spot. No payback should be the <laughs> mantra for buyers and suppliers. And then Josh says, hey, more time to research markets and to watch the Spurs miss out on Champions oh, League man. next year. I think he, he has a dig at so He's an Arsenal fan, isn't he? <laughs> Dan, that guy, he's a gunner. So he's always at me about, about <laughs> yes, him. I've got to give you a story. Five years ago, I sat in the away end. My, my friend is a season ticket holder at Spurs. I flew in from England. I sit in the stand. No colors. I'm a Norwich fan. We're playing against those guys. And, um, you know, we're, it's David versus Goliath, and we win. Okay. And I'm sitting there. I remember. I'm sitting there saying nothing, just looking out of the corner of my eye, my friend, and, you know, and all the folks around me are like, these damn farmers, you know, we're, we're from the equivalent of Wisconsin. And I'm sitting there and pretending to, pretending to be upset on the inside. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> and and in that stadium, you had better remain silent because oh, it's yeah. a long walk home from I there. I was silent until I got in the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, okay. we're going to have to have you back on uh, Supply Chain Nerds Talk Sports, Dan. We'll talk more oh, about your, right. your football exploits. But, right. Dan, not only you know, beyond the great conversation and the very practical conversation we've had here today, there's some bigger picture relationship slash partnership that, you, that Esker's got cooking up, cooking up with both LSQ and with TCU. Let's talk about what you've got going on with LSQ first. Sure. I, I think what clearly LSQ uh, leaders in, in, in finance and, and factoring and, and supply chain finance. What, what we saw is that not only did um, companies want to bring in technology and, and, and give finance leaders visibility of who they who they need to pay, what they, where they're spending their money, so they can avoid, I mean, I'll give you an example here in Denver, a friend of mine works for a oil company, they had lots of non-peer invoices that came in, they weren't, the CFO got hit with a nasty surprise, and, you know, that, that impacted their, their performance significantly, my friend was, you know, in a bit of trouble, for, for, well, I had to put in technology and, and measures to try and prevent that, so I think we're seeing finance leaders want visibility. I know everyone's wondering about this in your audience, so I've got to explain it. If you can get that invoice in, coded, approved, and moved around the organization really quickly, hence the term a thousand, at the speed of a thousand gazelles, well, then they're even more likely to um, you know, take an early payment discount, or in this, this day and age, now you're perhaps in a better position to pay and take care of your supplier and maintain your place. So the partnership with LSQ is about ESCO providing technology but LSQ helping helping sort of enable the funding, make it possible to for you to sort of unlock more working capital and, and, and take care of your suppliers, okay, which in turn allows you to grow and for you to be more efficient. So we're finding that a lot of people are – the concept of, turn, of, of turning payables into a profit center is important. Right. I think what I've heard today and what the trend has been, it isn't just about – making a profit on the back of your suppliers. It's about taking care of them, pay them early, pay them on time, yeah. pay them in a predictable manner. Yes. Agreed. agreed. So many, so many stories, so little time to add to Dan's point, but uh, really quick mutual Omaha animal kingdom. That's why speed of a thousand gazelles resonates and paints such a great visual. That's what I watched all the time as a kid. So we'll keep it coming, Dan, because expand or adequate comment based on what Dan shared and the nature of y'all's partnership. Yeah, no, I think Dan hit it home. We are a leading working capital financing and payments platform. One of the surveys that Deloitte just came out uh, this February was that working capital is a top and high C-suite priority 
across 50% of corporates uh, that they've surveyed uh, within the US. So just bringing home, you know, the biggest thing in terms of not just securing supplies, but also securing your relationships. It's really important to kind of consider an early payment program that you can make, uh, make available for your entire supplier ecosystem. So that really helps uh, open up financing as an access to all your suppliers and helps them grow, helps them maintain stability. And just having that payment certainty for the suppliers is going to reap many more benefits down the road, you know, as you think about your business. Excellent point. And and the customers, you know, that's just another opportunity for their capital to be working for them and provide a value in a different way. So excellent point, Vikas. Um, all right. So that's not all, though. Dan, who doesn't get any sleep at night or, or that or you got like eight clones. I'm, tr- I'm still trying to figure it out, Dan. What are you've got cooking with our friends, um, uh, Dr. Swink and TCU? I alluded to that a little bit earlier. I think finance leaders and those investing in technology, I think they appreciate credible voice. And here's what I mean by that. When you can bring other customers or, um, with experience or a, a research body that's trusted and, and you know, well-established, who can go and look into trends, be it you know, working capital trends, liquidity trends, what's going on, are companies having to hold more stock, et cetera. I think people value that. You know, so the, those insights, those trends, maybe even, I think Morgan was hinting a little bit earlier, hey, there's, there's lessons that, that we learned before based on the, the great re- recession. There's, there's lessons we can, we've seen before about how to take care of your suppliers. So I think what the, the partnership with, with, with TCU enables is, yes, some, some insight into what's going on. Here's some trends. Here's, here's some lessons learned from prior situations you know I'm, I'm a i'm a fan of history i don't know if i told you my, my grandma was a historian hmm. so uh, i was should stay up until one or two in the morning this is a true story reading latin wills from the 13th and 14th century of folks who came to norfolk england wow you should learn about their 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 past by reading old english and i'm sitting there going wow read this anyway <laughs> it, it rubbed off a little bit but i think there is some value in 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 sort of okay other historical things that companies can now do and obviously one of them is if you take care of the supplier that's gonna have cost benefits right um not just can we grow and keep the supplier base but there'll be cost benefits so it's those sort of things that we're excited about with morgan morgan might add to that because I'm, I'm sure there's plenty there's plenty of value that, that tcu provide their, their their um their partners yes morgan i would love for you to add and it sounds like uh, y'all might have some tips for working with the beowulfs of industry but morgan <laughs> oh, please, uh, <laughs> beowulfs. oh wow we're getting all kinds of cultural <laughs> references here well, we're really excited about the partnership uh, as well. Um, uh, you know, not only are we going to embark on this uh, kind of benchmarking technology uh, research that Dan alluded to, that I think is going to be fantastic for helping us understand and how to improve uh, productivity in these areas, but also to Dan's point, satisfaction, employee satisfaction, uh, customer satisfaction, supplier satisfaction, all those pieces. So that's a, a great project. Uh, but beyond that, you know, Esker's joining our advisory board. We, we have a center for supply chain innovation that I, I head up uh, and a great board of many, you know, about 25 different companies, from all kinds of industries. And I think Esker's going to make a great addition to that board. And our board members are going to love learning more about, you know, what Esker does uh, through that. Uh, and then the other piece is, is, you know, we're very interested in fintech. Fintech is all the rage right now in academia. And TCU happens to be, the Neely School happens to be one of the first uh, schools in the country to offer a certificate in fintech uh, studies. So 
this just dovetails really nicely with uh, a lot of the other directions that we're headed as a as an academic institution. So it's a really great opportunity. I love that. Uh, I love mm-hmm. Morgan the work you and your uh, staff and faculty do to um, engage not the next generation, the now generation. They're already making an impact, right? Um, so I love that. We look forward to a lot more to come. And by the way, speaking of which, Greg, we should interview Morgan and a couple of the, his his dynamic go getter students or you know whether undergrad or grads we'll, we'll make that happen with uh, the the wonderful tcu student body greg really quick for our circle back and make sure i think we've got a resource we want to drop in the comments for folks but what'd you hear from these partnerships here that dan's talking about with ls both lsq and tcu well first of all let me start with the importance of this partnership is that fort worth is unbelievably underrated as a food and, and metropolitan Mecca. And, and also there's maybe one or two great golf tournaments played there. So, um, and TCU is a, is a great school and I love purple. So but aside from that, in all seriousness, there is a lot there. He did it. Do, do that again, Morgan. There you go. Lord frogs. I think that the thing that we have to understand based on this partnership is that all of those partnerships that we've talked about that being your, your customers, your consumers, your suppliers, whatever you want to call them, they are all your trading partners. And if you think about them on equal footing with you and that they give you that stability that your company needs, then that is the perspective that not only serves your company, but causes you to serve your trading partners in a way that will accrue to benefits to you and your company in the future. The thing that companies in the supply chain have to think about now is it's not the bottom line at threat because of your supply chain. It is the top line. You cannot hide your supply chain anymore since the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. (laughs) People know whether you have a good supply chain or you don't. And they are selecting companies based not only on their brand, based not only on their product mix, based not only on their product promises, but on their product delivery. And this is one way to help assure that you can deliver. And you only have one job in supply chain, and that is deliver. Love that. So many, so many references that we don't have time for here today. But Greg, I love that wrap. Um, I love the depth of the partnerships and relationships that uh, Dan and Morgan and Vikas are speaking to. It's so important. That's how you move mountains. All right. So really quick, folks, as we're, we're going to spill over just a couple of minutes here, but I want to make sure uh, if Amanda, first off, big thanks to Amanda and Catherine and Chantel and Mike and Matt. The whole team kind of behind the scenes help make conversations like this happen. If we can drop, there's a very interesting and informative ebook that the Esker team put out, uh, Supply Chain Automation, Optimizing Cash Flow in the Age of Uncertainty. And we all know that's certainly the age we're all fighting through now. The link is in the comments to that. You can download that uh, resource uh, to your heart's content. Um, let's go around the horn and make sure folks know how to connect with each of y'all. Uh, because as Jerry said, he had to cut out early for a conference call, but this has been a great panel. Jerry says he wants to come back and listen to the whole shebang. Hope it gets posted. Thanks much for this, Jerry. It's getting posted. We're going to drop this. Uh, it's going to be available on social as well as on the Supply Chain Now RSS feed, uh, wherever y'all get your podcast from. Uh, Vikas, let's start with you. Really have enjoyed, uh, and we didn't even get to all the stuff. I, I saw some more notes from you about things taking place in automotive, which is a fascinating industry to be watching here lately. But how can folks connect with you and the LSQ team? LSQ.com. That's it's easy. That, <laughs> that is the most how did you get, how did First of all, how'd you get that URL? That's really impressive. 
That is the most succinct answer to that question yeah. in the history it's, of supply chain now. Some 860-some episodes for cost. You set records. Yeah, it's set, uh, it's, uh, it means liquidity made simple and quick. Oh, nice. I love it. Uh, well, Vikas, great to have you back. We love our repeat guests. Vikas Shaw, Chief Revenue Officer with LSQ. Really appreciate that. Let's switch over to Morgan Swink with Texas Christian University. You got uh, all the, the the now generation thought leadership down there. You've got uh, Morgan, his research, his expertise, and the Supply Chain Center for Excellence that we heard about. How can folks connect with you and learn more about all that good stuff? Yeah, please. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, and check out our Neely webpage. It's n-e-e-l-e-y dot tcu dot edu. Uh, just just type in Center for Supply Chain Innovation. You'll find out all about our events and, and things like that. Wonderful. Appreciate that. And great to have you back. We really enjoyed the webinar. I think Kevin joined me. Greg, you may have joined me too. Dan, of course, was there. Great to have you back here on the live stream. That was uh, Dr. Morgan Swink, who leads basically supply chain management, uh, those programs uh, at Texas Christian University. So thanks for your time today, Morgan. And then Dan Reeve. Greg, he is rocketing up the charts. Elba Pareja Pareja Gallagher of UPS, of course, but I'm thinking of a nonprofit that for some reason I cannot think of. Amanda, drop that in the comments. I want to give that a little bit of love. Elba, for a long time, held the number one rank in terms of most appearances here. But Dan, gosh, you got to be top five now. Uh, So how can folks connect with you, maybe take a picture of your world championship belt that comes with that. How can folks connect with you and Esker? Well, this is, this is a nice to be positioned in that space. You know, I'm going back to Norwich Thursday night and we're playing Chelsea, which means we'll probably lose 10 nil. So, you know, we're rooted <laughs> at the bottom of the Premier League. So it's nice to be put at the top of a table for a change. Dan R at Esker.com. So just Dan R at Esker.com. Of course, you can get me on LinkedIn. It is just that easy. Uh, yeah. Dan, Love what you're doing. Uh, you and the Esker team are doing. I appreciate you bringing these partnerships, but also more important than that. And, and, you know, partnerships are really important. But the perspective here, the been there, done that, actionable perspective that that uh, you helped us facilitate here today. So big thanks to uh, Dan Reeve, head of sales at Esker. Thanks. Okay. You bet. And we'll see you again, Dan. All right. So big thanks to, we're going to, I'm sure our panel, Greg, have got some world changing to do. And we're a couple minutes behind. So we're going to swoosh them out and then you and I will wrap. Thanks so big for thanks. staying late, gang. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's right. Big thanks again, uh, Vikas, Morgan, and Dan. We'll see you all shortly. So Greg, man, you know, we always, we always have full hours. But man, there was so much more there. We could have it could have been a, a, a war and remembrance miniseries, couldn't it? Yeah, I think you know. I think the thing that we have to th- think about, and and we don't, is the we talk a lot about soft skills, but the soft soft portion of a relationship, right? That that which cannot always be documented, though. I think it was interesting that Morgan, Doctor Swink, said that they are documenting more and more the benefit. Of, of having a good relationship with your suppliers and the benefits, the specific and tangible benefits that accrue to a company that are, let's just say, good to their suppliers or their trading partners. And right. I think if more companies measured that, that would be important. I can tell you this, as a risk mitigating factor, I have always measured that. How good is our relationship? What do they owe us? What do we owe them? Do we deserve to ask for special treatment as a merchant? As a purchasing agent, uh, you know, in retail, we always knew the state of our relationship with companies so that when times get t- got tough, and they do, and they d- clearly do repeatedly, you know, can we count on them and do we frankly deserve to ask, right? Right. That's right. 
So, so much here to tackle. Uh, showme50.org is a nonprofit I was thinking of. So y'all check that out, Amanda. Maybe you can drop that in the links. But so much, a ton of perspective here today. And I love the, um, Greg, I love kind of what you're alluding to. Uh, it's not business as usual. It, it's, uh, you know, your, your suppliers deserve better. Uh, and if you're in a position to be able to, to take care of them better, uh, you know, that's a good thing to do. It, it certainly um, adds some anti-fragility to your your global supply chain. So, Greg, always a pleasure. Love having Dan. Likewise. Dan brought two of his best friends there, Morgan and Vikas. We'll look forward to getting updates from them. Morgan, uh, if you're listening, we're going to make that uh, student episode happen. We love figuring out what the now generation is talking about. Greg, hope you have a rest a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, safe travels. Uh, that's right. I wasn't going to put the, I wasn't going to let the cat out of the bag. Uh, <laughs> but if you'd like, oh, no, we'll keep it quiet. We'll keep it quiet. Baby sleeping. <laughs> so, folks, hopefully you enjoyed this, this episode as much as we have. We've had a blast. Big thanks to, uh, of course, Dan with Esker, uh, Morgan with TCU, and Vikas with LSQ. Uh, if you like these conversations, be sure to check out Supply Chain Now wherever you get your podcasts. Jerry, it'll be published there so you can listen while you're working out or driving down the road, you name it. But whatever you do, on behalf of our entire team here, whatever you do, we've got to take action. We've got to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.